Vayishlak. We are real close to Hanukkah. This is not going to be a Hanukkah little drosh here. I will save that for next week. But just in preparation for that, as I'm reading through, um, I just think there's some themes that I just began to see. Of course, with... uh, all the strife we've been reading about the past few weeks, all the family relationships, you see that on a grander scale in some spots. Um, Particularly when it comes to Edom. Now, we've been reading the Kumash this week. The sages note that Esau's descendants became Rome. And so the rabbis equate Edom with Rome, and because Christianity come out of um, Rome and later thought, and you can read this in a lot of the uh, Jewish commentaries, Edom gets associated with Christianity. Now, if you're a Christian, you might think, I don't know if I like the sound of that. You know, what exactly do you mean, Mike? Edom is Christianity. Well, yes, at the face uh, Upon first hearing that, that does sound quite um, uh, something that is very negative, and who would want to be associated with Edom? I get this. Okay, so we're going to explore this idea a little bit and see if there is a, uh, see what's behind that. The past few weeks, of course, we've seen patterns in the lives of the patriarchs. Patterns, these things play out in our own families. They play out on wider scales between nations and throughout world history. And this week, the parsha does not disappoint. It ends with the passing of Isaac and a point of reconciliation. You see, this is a lot of this is about ultimately reconciliation. Jacob and Esau. Edom, Rome, uh, Christianity and Judaism, really the end game, the uh, goal of the oracles of all the prophets and the prophecy of our master Yeshua has been reconciliation. That is the end goal for all of this. So we're going to learn a little bit about Edom. Let's get back. We're going to begin in the Torah portion this week. Parashat Vayishlak. Let's Genesis, we're going to be in Genesis chapter, maybe 35, right near the end of this week's Torah portion. It's going to be, we'll keep you busy, because I have a bunch of really short readings as we chase down Edom. It's Exodus, I'll go back a little more. Okay, we're going to be just catching the end of chapter 35. Before we talk about Edom... I really don't like to pass on uh, when one of the patriarchs or a righteous person passes in one of our Torah portions. We should read that. Genesis chapter 35 and verse 27 says this. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kiriat Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Now Isaac's stays were 180 years Then Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his peoples, old and full of days. So his sons Esau and Jacob 
buried him. So it seems it looks like there is a point of reconciliation between the two there. We will get back to that. Moving along, chapter 36, Esau gets a whole chapter dedicated to him and his descendants. 36 verse 1 uh, says, Now these are the genealogies of Esau, that is Edom. And then it talks about his wives and his sons. And the next paragraph, verse 6 says, Now Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the people of his household, as well as his livestock, all his cattle, and all his possessions that he had required or acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to a land far away from his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too numerous for them to dwell together, and the land where they were residing was unable to support them because of their livestock. So Esau lived in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Um, if you look, skip down to verse 31, there's an interesting little verse here that gives a little... Uh, gives us some perspective. It says, Now these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. So we see here that Esau, when he leaves, he leaves and he has a lot of success. He has kings. There's a great, uh, seems as if there's a great nation flourishing there right away, very soon. Edom would take possession of the land south of the Dead Sea all the way down to the Gulf of Aqaba. So there's a you know, very southern part of Israel and it's, there are a lot of trade routes run through there. A very important piece of real estate um, because of those things. Also militarily very important. So the area that Edom would occupy is some pretty good, pretty good land. This is the area that Moses tried to bring the people through. Let's go there. Page 153 in the Pew Bible, or it's Numbers chapter 20. So it's a little while longer, of course, a little while down the road. Moses and the children of Israel are trying to get to the promised land after they leave Egypt, and they run into Edom. they got to pass through that area. Let's see, this would be Numbers chapter 20, verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother, Israel, you know all the hardship that came on us. Our forefathers went down to Egypt, so we lived there for a very long time. The Egyptians mistreated us and our fathers. But we cried out to Adonai. He heard our cry, sent an angel, and brought us out of Egypt. See now, we are at Kadesh, a town on the frontier of your territory. Permit us to pass through your territory. We will not cross through any field or vineyard or drink water of any well, but we will travel on the king's highway. We will not deviate to the right or left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, you may not pass through me or I will march out against you with the sword. B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, 
Then said to him, we will travel on the main road, and if we or our livestock even drank any of your water, we will pay its price. It's nothing, just to pass through on foot. He answered, you may not pass through, yet Edom came out to oppose them with a large and well-armed people, since Edom refused to permit Israel to cross through her territory, Israel turned away from them. Very sad, because this is their family. This is not like it's the Hittites or the Assyrians where you'd expect some pushback. And it was something, this isn't going to cost you guys anything. And yet even, again, we talk about the family uh, strife and dysfunction and troubles that we go through. This is that on a bit of a larger scale than just an individual family. And for this, Balaam would actually give a prophecy against Edom. If you turn over just a few pages to Numbers chapter 24, um, they are going to, Balaam begins to give an oracle. He's attempting to curse Israel. But in the meantime, he mentions something about Edom. And this would be in verse 17 of chapter 24. Verse 17 of chapter 24 of the book of Numbers. I see him, yet not at this moment. I behold him, yet not in this location. For our star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of all the sons of Seth. Edom will be conquered. His enemies will conquer Seir, but Israel will triumph. One from Jacob will rule and destroy the city's survivors. And it would be King David that would begin to see this prophecy realized in his days. We don't get to the book of 1 Chronicles nearly enough. But we will get there this morning, page 870. the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 18, verse 11. There is periodic hardship uh, during between these times that we are not going to look into. But King David really gets the, begins to get the better of them, at least in this part, because it really kind of does go back and forth. 1 Chronicles 18, 11. Ooh. See, it's told you, yes, page 870. And here, King David's enjoying a series of um, battles being won, and he's receiving uh, lots of the, uh, you know, the, the just prizes and everything that comes along with winning battles. First Chronicles 18.11, King David dedicated these articles to Adonai along with the silver and gold that he had taken from all the nations, from Edom, from Moab, the Ammonites, Philistines, and Amalek. Abishai, son of Zariah, struck down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became vassals to David. So Adonai gave David victory whenever he went. David reigned over all Israel, and he administered justice and righteousness to all his people. Amen. And later, his son Solomon would also uh, build ports in the Red Sea in their land, 
So this was a period of time where they did very well. However, Edom would not take this laying down. If you want to turn back to page 365 and 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 20, Edom revolts, and it seems they get the upper hand. This goes on for many generations. But here it's recorded that, uh, and see, 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 20, Yes, so it says, in his days, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah and set up their own king. Then Joram crossed over to Zeir with all his chariots. It came about that he rose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him and the chariot commanders, but his troops fled to their tents. So Edom kept rebelling from under the hand of Judah to this day. So there was, and this would continue over the course of several generations. So when the Babylonians came in and laid siege on Judah, as Mark mentioned earlier when he was reading the Haftorah, Edom was cheering them on and very happily assisted in on that. That is why Obadiah had such a scathing oracle calling out directly, Edom. And so, um, for those that are listening online, you did not hear the half Torah portions wherever you are listening. And whenever you are hearing this, may you be blessed. I will read a few verses from the book of Obadiah for you. Obadiah is, if you want to go back there for those that are here, it's page 591 if you remember. Obadiah, the smallest book in the Hebrew Bible. And I'm going to read a few verses near the end. I'm going to begin in chapter 15. I mean, verse 15. There's only the one chapter. So, Obadiah's writing. He says, For the day of Adonai is near against all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your dealing will return on your own head. He's talking to Edom here. For just as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. Yes, they will drink and gulp down and then be as though they had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be deliverance and it will be holy. Then the house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossess them. The house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph, that's a northern, or northern kingdom, the house of Joseph flame. While the house of Esau will be straw, they will set them on fire and consume them. So there will be no survivors of the house of Esau. No survivors of the house of Esau. Not long after this, in the third century BC, there is a group of um, Arabians called the Nabataeans who began to conquer some of that southern land and they pushed the Edomites into, they displaced them into the land of Judah. This gets us into the second century when they would be subdued by the Maccabees. Yes, I have a reference for that, although you probably may not turn there because you have to have a Bible that has the book of Maccabees in it. 
And so I have my copy here. This is, of course, a Catholic Bible. So, no objection. I call it my Edomite Bible. I'm just kidding. That was, a, that was below the belt. Okay, that was a cheap shot. First Maccabees, right after it talks, chapter 4, it's dedicating the temple, right? That's Hanukkah, it's coming up this week. Right after that, in chapter 5, it says, When the nations round heard that the altar had been rebuilt and the sanctuary, re sanctuary restored, so all the nations heard about the Hanukkah uh, happening and the Maccabees freeing the nation and all that, when they heard about that, they were enraged and so they decided to destroy the descendants of Jacob who were among them and among those. The uh, Edomites were ready to get in on that, of course, and that's when, uh, in this Bible, it says Judas Maccabeus, or we probably say Judah Maccabee. Um, that's when he attacked them, despoiled them, and Josephus and many of the other historical commentators of the time will tell you that they were assimilated into the Jewish people. They were uh, converted by force, and thus there would be no more Edomites. This is where the most notable Edomite sort of uh, that would come from that would be Herod the Great. Was a, uh, his parents were Edomite converts from that time. So Edom's no more, and because of that, because there's no danger from Edom, by the time we get to the time of Yeshua, um, and after that, the rabbis really began to take that danger of Edom and equate it to Rome. Um, so Jewish tradition maintains that the Romans are descendants of Esau. It's, but, and since Christianity came out of the Roman Empire, the rabbis associated Edom with it. Um, it sounds a bit harsh, but when you think about it, Judaism, when you think about the relationship between Jacob and Esau, their brothers, they're supposed to be family. Most of their life, they didn't get along. And it was only at the very end that there was some sort of reconciliation. When you think about Christianity and Judaism, you can think about that similarly, and that you would think they would get along. But for most of world history, this has not been the case, unfortunately. They're so I can understand while at first a Christian might take offense to being labeled Esau, I get that. But looking at it from the Jewish perspective, you have to take into account the centuries of distrust and malignment and sadly persecution at times. They're supposed to be family and getting along, but such as all the patterns that we see in the Bible that just doesn't happen. Is there an opportunity for reconciliation? I think so. I think these two are by design. It was Hazal has uh, said this a thousand years ago that Christianity was necessary because that's what spreads monotheism throughout the world. Love your love God, love your neighbor. And so it's the same, like a family member of Judaism. It's 
um, they worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, like Jacob and Esau, there's contention and strife when there should be much more uh, peace and harmony. And you just wonder what might be if that could have been achieved. But like Jacob and Esau, they seem to reconcile near the end of that, that story of their saga. Near the end of that, there's reconciliation. And we see in today's world, at least the generation we're living in, that there is a lot of reconciliation happening between Christianity and Judaism, which might make one think, does that mean we're nearing the end of some sort of uh, narrative and history at this time? I would think so. I love the depths of the Torah really has a quickly, just a different way of looking at this. Let's take Edom out of it because it's just hard to think positively when oh, we're Edom now. How are we going to take that you know, with a positive bend? Not the easiest thing in the world to do. So let's take that sort of analogy aside. Earlier in this week's Torah portion, Mark read it for us. Jacob, he sends out two camps ahead of him. Jacob's survival strategy may also help to explain the separation of Christianity from Judaism. In his unsearchable sovereign wisdom, God chose to conceal the good news of his kingdom and the Messiah from the, the majority of his people. In a similar way, he concealed the enduring truth of the Torah from the majority of Gentile Christians. Okay? Jacob divided his family to protect them. You know, if one gets attacked, the other one's still there. Is it possible that the Almighty divided Christianity from Judaism for a similar reason? Are the Christians and the Jewish people alike? Uh, they both faced the wrath of Rome at one point, and they separated into two camps. One can't preserve the truth of God's Torah. The other can't preserve the truth of his Messiah. Through the long centuries of exile, right, long centuries of exile and strife between the two, the two camps have safeguarded the truth that was entrusted to their respective communities. Now, in our day, on the verge of uh, redemption, perhaps, we see the truth of Torah emerging among the believers, and we see the identity of Messiah being revealed within Israel. Messianic Judaism represents a family reunion of sorts for the house of Jacob. The book of Revelation speaks of believers in possession of both the Torah and the gospel. Revelation 14.12 says, Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Yeshua. So there is reconciliation. It's always there. It's just sometimes maintaining that hope and the uh, resilience to get you through some of these darker times. I love the positive outlook that Lancaster has on this. We'll talk about darkness and light a little more next week because we need that light. We need to be encouraged and uplifted. I like that Lancaster's outlook because it's glass half full. I'm a very glass half full person. Rose-colored glasses, the whole thing. You know, you'll be a happier person with rose-colored glasses on. It's about having hopeful hearts and minds. Yes, the nations may rise against Israel, and we see tension right within the family of God. 
But we know that because we study Torah, we see the patterns, we hear the oracles of the prophets, that there will be reconciliation, and we have confidence knowing the kingdom will bring justice and peace to this family. Let us be those who are faithful, Talmudim that keep the commandments, and Talmudim that are, um, show ourselves to be those of faithful, approved servants. May he return soon, and in our days, Shabbat Shalom.